0: Good to see you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to take it out or grab the one in the pocket in front of you and turn to everyone's favorite book, Leviticus, this morning. I'm sure this is something that you've been looking forward to ever since you heard that we started the Bible series. Uh, And as we've been walking through these passages together, Pastor Daniel said this last week and it's equally true today that this is the time of the year when Bible reading plans go to die, right? This is the Bible reading graveyard when you get into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy uh, because we've transitioned in the story in Genesis and Exodus from largely being narratives. They're largely stories about these patriarchs, these heroes of faith, God's work in their life uh, to bring out this people, and then when we get into this time period within Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, there's still some narrative there's still some story scattered in but there's a lot of law, there's a lot of direction for how God's people are to live in this land that they are going to now that they've been brought out of Egypt and so it's easy for us to kind of disengage with it because there's a lot of things that are foreign and they are difficult and they're hard but I want to encourage you not to do that You know, there's all kinds of things in our lives that we don't really enjoy doing In fact, there are some things that when they get said or you're asked to do might cause like a little pit in your stomach to begin to happen. For some of us, that's uh, doing finances or tax season, right? Like that's coming up. You start getting the things in the mail, and just there's something inside of you is like, I do not want to do this. I'd rather hear my nails being scraped across a chalkboard or something like that than to do taxes, or it could be like diet and exercise, you know, that, that's just, you don't like the sound of that, you don't want to do that, there's something that comes over you. For me growing up, as a, as a kid, as a teenager, the thing that, that I despised, and I know that's a hard word, but it was true, okay, I'm just being honest, was gardening, or working in the garden growing up. Uh, I hated it. I did not like pulling weeds. I did not like tilling soil. You know, those green beans were not worth the effort, right? As a child or teenager, it's just not, you know? And so anytime that would come up or come out, I hated doing that. And I think a lot of times when we get to books like Leviticus, that same kind of feeling comes over us, right? But here's what I know on this side. Being an adult, and I still don't love gardening. You can talk to my wife about it. It's not my favorite thing, you know. I, you know, did a lot of school and worked really hard. I'd rather just buy the groceries or pay someone else, you know, to give me the food from their garden. But uh, I've come to appreciate vegetables. Like I, I, they're good. I enjoy them. I need them, and uh, and am more open to that than I ever would have been when I was a child. Well, my my hope and prayer is that as we get into Leviticus this morning and as you read it this week, and I encourage you and challenge you, even if you've not done any of the reading plan, jump in this week to Leviticus. My prayer is that you would see Leviticus anew and see that this book of the Bible is a beautiful book full of gospel pictures, gospel truths that help us follow God, help us understand a little bit of the character of God as He is holy. And I pray that it would change your appetite for the book of Leviticus as we get into it. And I can't do that. Only God can do that. And so I just want to pray again. Would you just pray with me and ask that God would do that this morning? Father God, I just come and I feel so inadequate, adequate to, to open your word ever, but especially right now. And so Lord, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd move this morning, that your word would change us, that your spirit would open our eyes to see what we need to see and to obey and walk in obedience to whatever you call us to. Please help us to see you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our, our journey this morning is to do our very best to give an overview of Leviticus. So, I've been giving them a hard time. I need you to help me out. So, Pastor Mike had three whole weeks to go through Genesis. Daniel had two weeks to talk about Exodus. I get one week to cover all of Leviticus, okay? So, here we go. We're in this together. It's going to be good. So, as we get into the book of Leviticus, obviously there's so much more than we could ever cover in a message. But what I want to try to do is I want to unpack the why behind Leviticus, the purpose of Leviticus, Leviticus, and the why behind why we should pursue Leviticus. So what I'm not going to be able to do is I'm not going to be able to answer every question that you might have as you read through it about everything that's in it, the hows and the whats. So what do we do with boils and discharges and laws about sacrifice and skin color and all the kind of weird, strange things that are in it? Uh, But that's one of the reasons why we have Behind the Message. So if you come back on Wednesday night, we can get into more of the whys in the house. That's why we do Life Group. And I'm sure your Life Group guide feels extremely adequate to be able to explain everything that happens in Leviticus to you. Uh, But no, it's a great place where we can talk about these things. And as you read it, I would just offer this to you as well. Um, We have notes available on the app that you can download every week. There's a lot more in the notes than what you're going to see this morning. I've tried to put more in there for you, including, I pulled out of the ESV Study Bible an outline of the whole book of Leviticus. So if it helps you to see how the chapters are arranged and how the whole fits together, it's there for you. And that's really helpful to me to be able to see kind of the breakdown of what I'm walking through. So all that's available to you as well. So, here we go. Leviticus means, in Hebrew, and... He called. And he called. And this is really appropriate because one of the differences about the book of Leviticus than Exodus and Genesis is that it takes place in one setting of time, as far as we can know. So Genesis spans generations, Exodus spans a large period of time. Leviticus, Leviticus 1.1 and the end of the chapter tell us that God gave all of this law to Moses at the base of Mount Sinai at the tent of meeting. So this is a continuation of what we've been reading at the end of Exodus about the tabernacle and some of the laws. God's people are still at the bottom of Mount Sinai. They're not going to move from the beginning of Leviticus to the end. They're still there. God's giving them specific laws for how they're to live on the way to the promised land and once they arrive in the promised land. So that brings up the question as to why. Why is the book of Leviticus here? What is the purpose of Leviticus? How do we frame all of the stuff that's in it together? And the answer is in our big truth this morning. And this is the purpose of Leviticus. God's people pursue holiness because God is holy. So all throughout your reading in Leviticus, you're going to see two truths. God is holy. God calls his people to be holy. And then you're going to see a problem. God's people are sinful. And so what do we do when you have a holy God who calls the people to be holy, but they still sin? And that is the book of Leviticus. God is holy. He deserves to be worshipped as holy. He deserves to be adored as holy. He is set apart. Isaiah 6 talks about he is the holy, holy, holy God. It means he is perfect. He is without default. He is without sin. He is unified, and all that he is is perfect perfect and holy and set apart. Sin is to miss the mark on holiness. So anytime we miss the mark on perfection, miss the mark on God's laws, that's sin, it's, it's a rejection of God and who he is. So God is holy and God has called his people to be holy. Well, how do you know that? Leviticus eleven forty four: For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, set yourself apart, therefore, and be holy for I am holy. There it is. Be holy, for I am holy. Pursue holiness, because I am the holy God. He says it again, Leviticus 19, chapter 2. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Because I, the Lord your God, am holy. You be holy, because I am holy. Well, Pastor Paul, what do we do about the New Testament? Because in the New Testament, we're made holy by Christ. So do we still have to pursue holiness? Do we still have to be holy? Well, thankfully, the Apostle Peter answers that question in chapter 1. This is what he says, 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This is Peter speaking on the other side of the cross to the church. Why? He quotes Leviticus, since it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. God is holy, and he calls his people to pursue holiness. Why? Because he is holy. It should have marked the children of Israel then, and this is really important church, it should mark Jesus' followers today. One of the things that should be different and distinct and unique about you and about me and about this family is that we are people who pursue holiness... And put sin to death. Like that's part of what it means to be a Jesus follower. We pursue holiness and we put sin to death. And that's not perfect. We are not under the old covenant law. We are under the law of Christ now. We are under grace. But even under grace, it fuels us now to pursue holiness. Why? Because God is holy. And we are called to be like him. We are called to pursue him. So this is the purpose of of Leviticus, to show us how God is holy, how God is set apart, and all these laws and all these rules and all these things show us, they show us how perfect and holy and unique and set apart He is, and how far we are from that, and what it means for us to try to pursue a holy, holy, holy God. And I'll just give it away, on our own, we can never become holy like God is holy. The only way that you and I can be holy is for God to make us holy. But God set up this system of sacrifice and worship and feast and ritual and purification in the book of Leviticus as a picture looking ahead to what would come in Jesus Christ. But the truth that God is holy and his people are called to be holy has not changed. And the calling on your life and my life, if you truly are a Jesus follower, is to pursue holiness. Is to be set apart. So why... Does God want his people to pursue holiness? Why does God want his people to pursue holiness? That's the question I want to ask and I want us to try to answer this morning through our big ideas. So I have four for you. Why pursue holiness? What happens as we pursue holiness? Four ideas. The first one is this. The pursuit of holiness is ultimately a pursuit of God's presence. Why do we pursue holiness? Because we want to have a relationship with God. Because we want to know and experience God's presence. For God to be with his people, holy, holy God, to be with the people he's called out, they must be holy as he is holy. It's an issue of presence. It's an issue of pursuit. Leviticus one, the book begins this way. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him, this is important, from the tent of meeting. So, all throughout Genesis and throughout most of Exodus, God would have an encounter with a man, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with Joseph, with Moses. But now, what is unique that is a turn in the story is God is not just speaking to one individual anymore. God's presence is coming to be with his people through the tabernacle, through the tent of meeting. And God's people want to be in God's presence. In fact, all the camp of Israel was arranged in such a way that everything pointed back to the temple, to the tabernacle that was in the center of the camp. Everything was oriented around God and the life of an Israelite. Why? Because God's people wanted to be in his presence, and God's presence wanted to be with his people. Communion with God is the goal of Leviticus. and You can see this in Leviticus 26, 11 through 12. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you. I will be your God, and you shall be my people. The thing that marks God's people is God's presence. The thing that God's people should long for most is God's presence. I don't know about you, but I'm assuming most of you who have children or when you grew up in your your house, there were probably some family rules. that that you've given as a parent or your parents gave to you. And and most of those are pretty common rules. Eat your vegetables, be kind, respect your parents, don't lick the electrical outlet, you know, don't skydive off the top bunk of the bed, don't drop kick the dog, if you drop kick the cat, don't do it too hard, you know, don't want to hurt the internal organs, but we understand it has to happen from time to time. Whatever that is, like you had a certain set of rules in your home, my home has a certain set of rules as well, And some of those rules, they have a certain function to them, like for safety and, and, you know, function in the house. But why do family rules exist? Ultimately exist for a relational purpose. Because when you do what you're supposed to do and I do what I'm supposed to do inside of these confines, we flourish together. We are a team. We don't exist for the individual. The individuals exist for the whole. When we all operate together, our relationship with one another thrives. And when someone breaks those rules, our relationship with one another gets broken too, right? And so when you read through the book of Leviticus and you're going through all these laws and all these purification rites and all these different things, remember, big picture pulling out, the reason why these things are here are they are to help us and help God's people pursue his presence. To have God among them. So really, practically, a point of application for us today is if you want to experience God's presence in your life, church, communion, you must pursue holiness. Now, I'm not talking about that having salvation, losing salvation, if you don't pursue holiness, then you can't be saved. That's not what I'm saying. Through Jesus Christ, anyone who places faith in him is united with Christ in God forever. It's an eternal, irrevocable act. But our communion with God, our relationship with him does go in and out based on our obedience and our pursuit of holiness. So let me say it a different way. Church, if, you, if you're here this morning and you're a Jesus follower and you feel distant from God, one of the major factors might be sin in your life or a lack of pursuit of holiness. His presence doesn't feel near to you because you've been pursuing things that aren't in line with his word. And so a lot of times, even though we are sons and daughters of the king, if we aren't walking in holiness, if we're not walking in pursuit, if we're not abiding, if we're not putting sin to death, if we're not removing distractions from our life that keep us from fixing our eyes on Jesus, we will feel distant. His presence will feel far from us. Even my wife and I, we were talking about this last night for us individually, but even for our family, she brought it up, and it was a great question. Is there anything that we're doing as parents, is there anything we're bringing into our family right now that's keeping us from pursuing holiness? It's distracting us from this pursuit that could be a distraction to the hearts of our children. It's a good question for us to ask this morning. Holiness is the pursuit of God's presence. Second big idea that we see from Leviticus is that the pursuit of holiness, secondly, sets God's people apart. Not only does the pursuit of holiness uh, ultimately revolve around God's presence, but secondly, it's, it's intended to set God's people apart. That's what we were seeing about this morning is that when we pursue holiness, our lives should look different to the world around us. Exodus sixteen four through 6 God gave this purpose to his children as they were coming out of Egypt. He says this, "...you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is what God's saying. I have set you apart to display my glory through. And when you keep my law, and when you worship me the way that I've called you to, all the nations around you are going to look different than you. And they are going to know that I am your God, and I am the God. He says this in the book of Leviticus too. Leviticus 20, verse 26. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Leviticus 20, 26 you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples. Why? That you should be mine. Leviticus twenty twenty six. One of the reasons why God's people are commanded to pursue holiness is so that their lives would be set apart from the nations around them. And the goal is that the nations would see Israel and want to worship their God would see the way they thrive, to see the way that they exalt God, and they would want to be a part of that. You and I are called to be set apart, to stand out. Our lives, our church, should look different from the world around us. As I was reading this, I was thinking about uh, an article, an interview I'd watched about a guy named Horst Schultze who, who led the Ritz-Carlton hotels from in the 1990s and early 2000s, and he changed that part of the hotel industry, and Ritz-Carlton became known as, and won all these awards for greatest service within the service interest, industry, and the way he did it was he went to everyone a part of, who was employed at those hotels, and he said, you know, you are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, He raised their value, he raised their worth, and he proved it by saying every single person, whether you change the sheets on the beds or whether you're the bellman at the door, every single member of Ritz-Carlson, he empowered and gave them permission to spend up to $2,000 on any guest need that might arise that came to them. Think about that. Up to $2,000, the bellman can say, hey, I'll take care of that for you. And so every time a customer had a need and they brought it to someone, they didn't say, oh, let me go get my manager. They said, I'll take care of that. They were empowered to do it, and the level of service rose up. And the hotel chain became known and set apart as distinct when it comes to customer service. In a completely different way, this is what God's people are called to do. This is what Leviticus is about. The way you operate, the way you worship, the way you go through these things is to be a light to the nations. It's to distinguish you. It's to set you apart so that people would see my glory and want to be a part of my story. That's true of your life. It's true of my life. So there are two primary ways in the book of Leviticus this happens. One, the nation as a whole is called to be distinct. And then second, the priesthood is called to be especially distinct. So you're going to see a lot that's written to the nation as a whole and the way they are to live. Then you're going to see some chapters that are written to the priesthood and the way that they are to live. And the priesthood represent God to the people. They are mediators. They stand in the gap between God and the people. And so they were called to be uniquely distinct in the way in which they live. Here's the point, okay? Paul, why are you talking about all this? Here's the point, and this is important for you and for me. Every square inch of Israel's life as a faith family, was called to be marked by holiness. Every square inch. Church family, if you're a Jesus follower, every square inch of your life is called to be marked by the presence, the glory, and the holiness of God. Everything is sacred. Your parenting is sacred. Your work is sacred. It's not just church stuff. Everything we do has a sacred dimension to it. And that's why you've got all these kind of random laws about all these different facts of life. Why? Because God wants to be worshiped in every every aspect of your life and my life. And so you're going to see that God cares about the way they sacrifice. God cares about the way they pursue purity. God cares about the way they repent. God cares about the way they treat the land. God cares about the way they treat the poor, the oppressed, the slave. He cares about the way they treat the sojourner, the alien, those outside of Israel who wants to be part of the nation. And he cares about the way they treat one another. Why? Because God cares about every square inch of your life. And if you were wondering before this morning, is, does Leviticus have any practical application for my life? You bet it does. Because when you pursue holiness, your life becomes a picture of the gospel to the world. Did you know that Jesus' favorite verse is in Leviticus? The verse that Jesus quotes more in the Gospels than any other verse in the New Testament is found in Leviticus 19. Can I read it for you? Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? For I am the Lord. The most quoted verse by Jesus in the New Testament. Straight from the heart of Leviticus. Does it have practical applications pursuing holy for your life and my life? You bet. Because when we will not love our neighbor the way that God wants us to unless we are pursuing holiness. We get it twisted. We say you need to go love your neighbor. No, the way you love your neighbor is by loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the overflow of that is always love for neighbor. Because when we start neighbor first, we'll always twist the definition of love. But when we start with God first, holiness first, we will actually love our neighbor the way God intended for us to love our neighbor. It's incredibly practical. God cares about every aspect of your life. So how do we understand this reading through the book of Leviticus? Well, I have a little illustration that I hope will help you. I I got from a pastor named Mark Dever, and we have some slides that will help us understand this. So as you're reading through Leviticus this week, what you're going to see is that God speaks to everything in all of life. So every single issue, and there's all kinds of random ones you're going to find in Leviticus, he's speaking to everything in all of life matters to God. Let's go to the next slide. So there's two sets of phrases you're going to see a lot as you read through the book of Leviticus. One is this, clean versus unclean. Clean versus unclean. Most things in the the life of an Israelite would fall in that circle, in the category of clean. Now there are some dots outside that circle, and those are the things that were unclean. So a clean person is not supposed to interact with things that are unclean. And then there are certain things that you can do that move you from the category of being clean to unclean. So you do this thing that makes you unclean, you come outside the circle... But God, in his grace, prescribes for them, once you become unclean, here's what you're supposed to do. You do this thing, this thing, this thing, go to the priest, and then you move back into the clean sphere. So clean versus unclean. And this defined for the children of God how they're supposed to live in all of life. Let's go to the next one. And then there's one other category that we see, and that's common versus holy. So as you read through Leviticus, you're going to see what is common versus what is holy. Most things in life were common, only few things were holy, and holy things were always clean things. So, all throughout Leviticus, it's going to talk about what are the things that are holy unto the Lord, and what does it take for something to be holy unto the Lord. But here's the big takeaway that I want you to to get as you read through Leviticus. Something that is unclean can never come in contact with something that is holy. And any time there's major prohibition, anytime someone loses their life, there's major consequence. It's almost always revolved when something unclean comes in contact with something that's holy. Holy things cannot be unclean. Unclean things can never come in contact with things that are holy. So why are you showing me this? Because as you read through Leviticus, you're going to see these phrases a lot. Common versus holy, clean versus unclean. Why is all that there? It's there to help the children of Israel to know how to worship God in all of life, how to reflect Him to the world. And you and I are called to do that. He does that for the people. He does that for the priests. So a couple points of application, and then we'll move on to the next idea. One is this. God is indifferent about nothing. All of life matters to God. Every single aspect of your life matters to God. Every single aspect of your life is an opportunity to worship God or to run from God, to disobey God. All of life is worship. Everything is sacred. And God cares tremendously about the way he is worshiped. He cared about his holiness then, and this is important. He cares about his holiness now. and He cares about the way that we view him as holy now. And as you read through Leviticus, one of the things you're going to see is how God is holy now and set apart. So that leads us to the third big idea. The pursuit of holiness reveals the seriousness of our sinfulness. The pursuit of holiness reveals the seriousness of our sinfulness. So as you go through the book of Leviticus, what you're going to see is that God is holy, God's people are called to be holy, but there's this problem. God's people sin. Again, and again, and again, and again. And what we see as we read through Leviticus is that our sin is serious. It gets a big deal. Sin, one, it separates us from God's presence. It separates us from his presence. Leviticus 26, 17 says this, I will set my face against you. This is when they sin against God. This is a warning to them. And you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you. And you shall flee when none pursues you. Here's what he's saying. If you sin against me, if you break my laws as a people, my presence will leave your midst. Ultimately, Leviticus 26 says in exile, if you do not turn, if you do not worship, if you do not continue to pursue holiness, I will remove my presence from you. And friends, again, when you and I are living in sin as Christians, God's communion with us is removed. His Spirit is while we're still believers, we still followers, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Our relationship with Christ is hindered because of that sin. Sin separates us from God's presence. Second, sin's a constant reality that we see in Leviticus. There are sacrifices happening all the time for every single sin. And not only are sacrifices happening all the time, there's so much sin going on that chapters 4 through 6 address unintentional sins. So God even recognizes that there's going to be times when you are going to commit a sin that you don't even realize you're committing. And what do you do when you realize you committed a sin that you didn't realize you were committing? Well, God tells them how to deal with that. It's not just that we sin by willful action. We disobey God's law all the time. We're not even aware of it. That's how broken we are apart from God, how much we need God. But third, we see that sin comes at great cost. Throughout Leviticus, sin comes at a great price. There are two narratives, two stories in Leviticus. And those two stories, there's death in those stories of individuals who break God's law and they die. And the reason those two narratives are there is to show the severity of our sin, the depth of our sin, our need for a Savior. But not only do we see those stories, one of the pictures that you're going to see a lot as you read through Leviticus is you're going to see that there's bloodshed happening all the time. All the time. We, we can't even comprehend what that's like. That Every time sin happened, there was almost always a sacrifice that had to accompany it. One of the things that's really important as you read through Leviticus to note is that when the people came before the priest to bring their sacrifice for sin, guess who had to kill the sacrifice? It wasn't the priest. It was the person who committed the sin. The priest would take the blood, take the sacrifice, and do the right things with it. But but listen, wrap your mind around this. Every time you sin against God, you have to take an animal that is living and take its life by your own hand. That's how serious our sin is. Every single time, life has to die. Because of that sin, your sin and my sin. Can you even imagine what that would be like? And it was a constant reminder to them of the severity of what sin is. In our day, in our culture, it's easy to gloss over. For the children of Israel, they couldn't pass by it. It was everywhere. Why? Well, in Leviticus 17, it says this. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. Why? For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Here's what he's saying. The only way we can be made atoned at one with God, our relationship with God to be restored, to be back in his present, is something has to die. More plainly in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews will say it this way in Hebrews 9.22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So the pursuit of holiness, trying to be holy before God, reveals the seriousness of our sinfulness. And for the people of God, they saw this day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, that animals would have to be killed and sacrificed on behalf of their sin. What do we do? with that what do we do with the gravity of our sin leviticus 16 and 17 has the answer for us and this brings us to the last big idea this morning the pursuit of holiness reveals our need for an atoning sacrifice The pursuit of holiness reveals our need for atoning sacrifice. See, what what the people began to realize and what God knew to be true and told them was that as you go through all these purification laws and all these rituals and all these sacrifices, you can never cover all of your sin. As hard as you try, as much as you should, you can never atone for your sin. You can never sacrifice enough. You can never bring enough. And so God set a day, Leviticus chapter 16 is where we read about it, where all of God's people would have their sin atoned for. happen once a year on this specific day. And again, atonement, that's a really big word. Literally, it's simple. It just means this. If you spread the word out, at one meant, atonement, it's to bring one person who their relationship with God is broken back together again, to become one again, to become whole again. Atonement makes holiness possible for an unholy people. And here's, this is really important. Atonement requires three things. There's three things that we see that have to happen in order for atonement to happen for you and for me and for the people back then. One, God's presence. God has to be present. Two, there has to be a mediator. Someone has to stand in the gap between God and the sinful people. And three, there has to be a sacrifice for sin. There has to be a payment It's adequate for the sins of the people. So in Leviticus chapter 16, we see the day of atonement lived out. In verses 1 through 3, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, and they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that's on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place. This is really important. Aaron, even as the high priest, could not go into the presence of God except in the right way at the right time. God's presence was first. So the holiest of holies represented God's presence. That's number one. Number two, you had to have a mediator. The mediator was the high priest. And so as you read through Leviticus 16, what you see is Aaron as the high priest, he would come and he had to bring a bull that he sacrificed for his own sin, then he could come into the holiest of holies to be able to sacrifice for the sins of the people. The high priest could not atone for the sins of the people; only God can attend atone for the sin that's been committed against Him. God is the one who centers around. So you have God, you have the high priest, and then you have the sacrifice. Verse fifteen. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all of their sins. And so he shall do from the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. For God's people to be forgiven blood had to be shed and so the blood of a goat was brought in before the people and was slaughtered on behalf of the people its blood ran out its body was torn up for sacrifice so that the people could have propitiation that's a big theological word so that God's wrath against sin could be satisfied friends in just a moment we're going to come down to this table you're going to pick up a cup and you're going to pick up a piece of bread and that's not representing a goat, it's representing Jesus. When you look at that cup, it's a picture just like the people had to carry that animal in and slaughter it at their own hand, that because of your sin and my sin, Jesus' blood was poured out. That bread that his body was broken for you and for me. See, Jesus is, is the true and better sacrifice. He's the picture that all these pictures point to. Slaughtered for your jealousy, for your anger, for your greed, for your lust, for your idolatry, for mine, our unforgiveness, our bitterness. His body was broken. His blood was poured out and shed for you and for me. But not only is there a goat that's that's slaughtered on behalf of the people, there's one other goat that we read about, and it's called the scapegoat. In the scapegoat, the priest would come. They would lay hands on the scapegoat. And the scapegoat would then be sent out of the camp. And it was a picture that because of the blood that had been spilled, that the sins of the people were being taken outside the camp. They were gone. It's done. Sin is removed. It's atoned for. Presence of God, a mediator, the high priest, and a sacrifice to make all that possible. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. Your sin, my sin, their sin. You see, at the cross, those three things come together. Jesus is fully God. In God's presence, perfect and holy. But he's also the high priest. He is the mediator. He stands in the gap between sinful man and holy God. But he's not just God. He's not just the mediator, but he is the sacrifice. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that those who were outside in their sin could come into God's presence, to be made holy. This is the beauty of the gospel, and this is what the author of Hebrews says. I just want to read this over us. Hebrews 9, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Though even then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, he entered once for all, one time, into the holy place, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Oh, what a savior. See, the high priest had to come year after year after year after year after year, but Jesus came once. Fully God, perfect high priest, sacrificial lamb. And all who hope in him, all who trust in him, all who repent of their sin, this is what happens to your sin and my sin. Psalm 103, 12 says, As far as from the east is from the west, so far does he remove his transgressions from us. It's like the scapegoat went out of the camp. Your sin is removed forever. Micah seven nineteen: He will have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. I love this. You will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. Because of the blood of Jesus, your sin can be made no more. Praise God. How do we respond? We respond through the table this morning. We respond by repenting of our sin and turning to our Savior. I just want to invite you to bow your heads this morning. And I'm just going to lead us through a prayer. And then we're going to come and take the Lord's Supper together. All of us have one response this morning. Repent of our sin and turn to our Savior. And for some of you that's never happened before. You've never seen God as holy like He is. You've never seen yourself set apart like you are. You've never seen Jesus as the sacrifice for your sin in your place. And this morning you have a chance to place faith in Him, to trust in Him, to be saved by Him, to believe in Him, to say God I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you please forgive me. I believe in Jesus. Would you save me from my sins? And he will do that this morning. And we would love to help you walk through that. I'll be down front and I'll pray with you. There'll be people at our hub outside. they love to pray with you. That is your response if that's you this morning. Then for the rest of us, if you're here and you're a Jesus follower this morning, it's to repent of our lack of holiness. Repent of the sin that we've been running to. Repent of the distractions we've been filling our lives with instead of pursuing the holiness of God. It's to remember that our sin comes at great price. This isn't just bread and juice that we have this morning. It's a picture of what our sin costs. And at the same time, to fall into the loving arms and grace of our Savior who knows us better than we know ourselves, and yet he loves us. And as I love John three sixteen says that God sent his son to save you and me. Not because he just had to, but, but there was a love in it for you and for I. Thank God for that, praise him for that. <laughs> Fathers, we come this morning and we consider the cross. We consider the atonement. We consider sacrifice. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Thank you that you've made a way where we don't have to kill animals, but that you are, all those things are a picture of you. Help us to be a holy people. Help us to live set apart. Help us to understand better your holiness. I pray for some in this room, Lord, that you'd save them this morning.